I'm going to talk to you today about one of my passions. It's called the curse of the law, the curse of legalism. Oh, coming soon to a church near you. You'll see the highlights, or you already have. Liberty is worth fighting for. It's a reason a young man will go to the battlefield and, if necessary, lay his life down for his country. In March 23, 1775, a young 39-year-old attorney addressed the Virginia Convention, and he said, quote, if we wish to be free, we must fight. I repeat, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left. It is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. The gentleman may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. Our brethren are already in the field. So why stand we here idle? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? God forbid. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Well, we applaud the words of Patrick Henry to this day. But it was not quite 90 years later we were fighting one another in our history's worst bloodbath civil war. And again, I remind you, it was for the cause of liberty. African-American people of our great nation were not free. And it was the consensus of our government and others, they should be free. And if necessary, we would even fight one another for their freedom. Charles Sumner, on November 5th, 1864, gave a speech that masterfully summed up the issue of the Civil War. Where slavery is, there liberty cannot be. And where liberty is, there slavery cannot be. So I find it amazing that we will fight as a nation, other nations, for national liberty. And we will even fight one another for the freedom of those within our own borders. But when he comes to our Christian walk, we'll give up our liberty without a fight. Amazing. We'll go to war against any enemy that wants to take away our national freedom. But how seldom do you hear of a Christian fighting for his own liberty? Let enough legalists come on board, we give them the ship. We'll wave the flag of surrender. We'll listen to their lists. And if necessary, for the sake of peace at any price, even though it's slavery and bondage, we'll agree with their list so they will think well of us. Dr. Lewis Johnson wrote an article called The Paralysis of Legalism. He said one of the most serious problems facing the Orthodox Christian Church today in America is the problem of legalism. It wrenches the joy of the Lord out of a Christian believer, and with the joy of the Lord goes his power for vital worship and vital service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. The truth has been betrayed, and the glorious name of the Lord Jesus becomes a synonym for a gloomy killjoy. The Christian under law is a miserable parody of the real thing, unquote. Wow. If you want to find a group of somber, gloomy, colorless, odorless, vanilla, sterile, cramped, and dull individuals, check out a lot of churches today. Not all, but boy, a lot. 
If I had to name the number one enemy of the church and the gospel, without hesitation, legalism would be first. It is a killer. It kills congregations when a pastor is a legalist. It kills pastors when congregations are legalists. If you have never been under the thumb of legalism, you have no idea how blessed you have been. If you have been, then you know today what it is to be free. So St. Paul writes to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Nothing disturbs a legalist like the doctrine of grace. They hate it. Nothing destroys the power of legalism like the conviction of the grace of God. So Paul is writing to Christians who knew better, but who had fallen under the spell of a group of legalists. J.B. Phillips, in a paraphrase of Galatians 5.1 that I just read, says, Do not lose your freedom by giving in to those who urge circumcision. Plant your feet firmly, therefore, within the freedom Christ has won for us, and do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery. So if Patrick Henry would say, Give me liberty or give me death, the Christian ought to be able to say the same thing. Give me liberty or I just nullify the death of Christ on the cross. Give me liberty that he wanted Calvary, or I remain a slave full of shame, guilt, and condemnation under the law. And he just died for nothing. See, when the grace of Jesus comes over you, you find you are no longer doing something out of guilt or out of fear. You're doing it out of love. You you don't do it to win his approval. You do it because you've already been approved by Christ. I'm already accepted in the beloved. And I'll tell you this. And I don't care if you don't like it. (laughs) God isn't stamping out Christians across the world so they look like you. So they look alike, sound alike, act alike with the same temperament, the same vocabulary, the same look, the same sound, the same clothes. Gag me. That is awful. God is pleased with diversity and variety. Everybody in the Bible was different. Peter would cut you lower than a whale's belly. Barnabas would love you. Ezra plucked out his own beard because of the sin of the people. Nehemiah plucked out their beard. I'm with Nehemiah. See, it's freedom to make choices, to know his will. Freedom to obey his leading in my life. And once you've tasted that, you never want anything else. But I say again, it's a liberty you have to fight for because there are people who want to intimidate, manipulate, and dominate your life to make you as miserable as they are. It's an obsessive conformity to some standard they've set for the purpose of exalting myself. And what motivates the legalist is guilt and fear. It leads to an emphasis on what should not be and what one should not do instead of what I am to be. I want to be known for what I'm for. See, Christians evaluate churches by what they're against, not what they're for. You ought to stand out there on, a, on a, some weekends and hear the questions I get at. Well, what's your opinion? What's your view on Christmas trees? Like, that's how you pick in the church? Dumb. Just dumb. What's your view on wine? Well, Ephesians says don't get drunk. How about that? Well, I mean, I get asked this. 
well, what's your view on homosexuality? What's your policy? I said, well, I just let them sit with the fornicating singles. I said, I don't know. What do you mean? (laughs) Now, they, let me tell you, the religious system hates my guts because you like it, and it's biblical, and what I said is true. But they don't like that. It's always, well, you go over there, boy, they're on a campaign against so-and-so and against so-and-so. The Bible says all have sinned. So you check out whoever's next to you, they're sinful, just like you. And Jesus died for sinners. I don't want to be known for what I hate and what I'm against. I want to be known. I'm pushing what I'm for. Eugene Peterson writes this, this theologian. He says, the word Christian means many different things to different people. Boy, is that true. You know, to one, it means a stiff, uptight, inflexible way of life, colorless, odorless, unbending. To another, it means a risky, surprised-filled venture lived on tiptoe at the edge of expectation. Now, what's interesting, he says, either of these pictures can be supported with evidence. There are numerous illustrations of either position in churches all over the world. But if we restrict ourselves only to biblical evidence... Only the second image can be supported. The image of a person living zestfully, exploring every experience, pain and joy, fulfillment and frustration as a dimension of human freedom, searching through each for sense and for grace. If we get our information from Bible, there's no doubt that the Christian life is a dancing, leaping, daring life. Woo! Go for it. Now, how many churches or believers do you know like that, as opposed to the hundreds of thousands who take their cues from the legalist and live life in that bondage? They are look-alike clones, little Barbie Ken dolls. You can look at what verses are underlined in their Bible and tell, oh, they belong to that group or that group. And it was surprising to Paul that the Galatians would go back to their Jewish bondage after being set free. Galatians 5 verse 7 in the Message Bible says, Paul's talking to him. He says, hey, you were running great. Who cut in on you, deflecting you from the true course of obedience? That detour didn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. And then he tells them in chapter 3 verse 1, you crazy Galatians. Did somebody put a hex on you? Who bewitched you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. It is obvious you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus on the cross that was set before you quite clearly. Paul reasons with these Galatians that he presented to them a Savior who had already paid the penalty for their sin, freed them from the law, And the blood that came out of his body on the cross and the resurrection of his body from the grave was God's final payment for our sin. So he said, who bewitched you guys and blinded you to the work of the cross? Then he says, I'm amazed. See, legalism obscures what happened at the cross. Let, Let me say this. It does not obscure the cross. The devil doesn't mind you having crosses everywhere. You can wear them 14 carat, 18 carat, 9 carat gold. You can put them all over an altar. He doesn't care. What he obscures is if this pulpit here was the, the cross, he just doesn't want you to know what happened there. That, in other words, oh, well, Jesus died there. That's not enough. That's, that's not the big story. The big story is what he did at the cross when he took the law and he fulfilled it 
and he, Colossians 2, he removed it, took it out of our way, Paul says, as a means of approaching God and having favor. And he put in its place Jesus. So I don't come through the law. In fact, I can't come through the law. I can't get there. I come through Jesus or I don't come. It's just that he took it out of the way. Now, that's amazing, and I'll tell you why in a minute. At the cross, Jesus administered to Satan a total, permanent, irreversible defeat. Satan can never undo it. And his chief weapon against you and me is guilt, shame, and condemnation. But redemption gets us into the place of no condemnation, unless you go to church. The gospel is to tell people how they can be made righteous. It was called good news. It was not to bring you under condemnation. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know where this goes. That'll do. All right. There's no condemnation. The enemy will try, but because I know what happened at the cross, he can't do it. I won't receive it because it's a lie. The law always condemns. Satan wants to obscure what happened at the cross because it's the place of his defeat. Legalists always judge, compare, and condemn. What did the Pharisees say? Thank God we tithe, we, we come to church regular, we hadn't committed adultery. Thank God we're not like that publican over there. And the old publican, he just falls on his knees, puts his hands on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinful man. And Jesus told his little staff over here, that's the boy that went home justified. This religious crowd over here is boasting about what they don't do. They don't know God from a hole in the ground. But the guy that said, I have no hope but in you. I'm messed up. I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm a wretch. Jesus says, good boy. <laughs> You're going home saved, justified. That was wonderful. And that just kills a legalist because they want to earn it, see? Uh, every church has its own list. Have you ever noticed this? I don't care what denomination you came out of, Catholic, Baptist, Assembly of God, Presbyterian. Even if you stay in that same denomination, going to a different church, the rules change. I thought, we got one Bible. How do we have 20,000 different sets of rules? How is it possible to have over 300,000 different groups and denominations in America? We are as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. We don't know what is going on. Now, what's Paul fighting for? Liberty, your liberty. You were freed from the law. Now you're slaves again? You are nuts. What's wrong with you? So how do legalists get in, and why are they so effective? Well, first in Galatians 1, 6 through 10, Paul says there's heresy loose in the church, brought on by legalists who distort the true gospel. So heresy deals with doctrine. Legalism then distorts the truth of the gospel. The second way they get in is Galatians 2, 1 through 6. He talks about harassment. Legalism needs the atmosphere of a school or a church or a denomination. It's harassment brought on to people by leadership. So heresy comes by wrong doctrine. Harassment, intimidating people to come under law, comes by leaders. And third, Galatians 2, 11 through 14, it's hypocrisy. When you adopt a legalistic lifestyle, you have to live in deceit and you have to fake it. You say one thing publicly, but you live another privately. If you're under the law, sin always has dominion over you. 
Remember, but you are not under the law, you are under grace, therefore sin shall not have dominion over you. If you read Romans 7, it says the law activates the passion of sin. <laughs> Every legalist got hidden sin. You can't keep the law. In 1,500 years, Israel never kept it. Nobody could keep it. It is the end. Then Paul in Galatians says, if you keep one part, you got to keep it all. Tell me one person who keeps it all. And then he said, if you break one part of it, you are guilty of breaking it all. You're screwed. You're done. We're all done. It isn't possible. Now think, think back to the bondage people and preachers put on you that Jesus did not. Now let's just open those up a little bit. Look at the doctrine of this issue of legalism. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was God's way of saying, your death, my son, is sufficient to satisfy my anger and wrath. And from now on, all who come to you, Jesus, have my blessing. I decree them to be righteous. And what is the requirement to obtain forgiveness and righteousness that brings us eternal life? Faith. No works, no long lists of I promise and I won't, no special attendance, no christening, no adding to, no giving up, but it's trusting Jesus Christ alone. And Paul says, I am amazed you have deserted this message of grace for a different gospel. You've less left the grace of Christ to embrace an opposite gospel, which is not grace. And there are some people who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And folks, almost every cult you can name is a cult of works. Why? It appeals to my flesh. It says if you'll stand so long on a street corner, if you'll visit so many hours, if you'll give out so much material, if you'll give up so much of life, if you won't eat that, won't drink that, wear a long dress, uh, the Amish won't, won't can't use electric tools, it's worldly, but if the contractor that hires them buys it and puts it in their house, they can use it. They can't have a TV, but if I buy it and put it in there, they can watch it. They can't have a telephone, but if I need to get them for a work job, I can pay for it and put it in their house, and they can use it. How many of you see hypocrisy? This is the dumbest thing I ever heard of, but that's what happens. And they think that if I do that, God will smile on me when good works are weighed against bad works, which never happens, by the way, but they think that. So the result of that is your glory because you've added to the work of Christ. You just said what Jesus did on the cross was not enough for me. I've got to help him out. Grace says you have nothing to give. God on his own reached down and said, you are mine by faith in Jesus Christ, period. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verse 8 and verse 9. For by grace you have been saved through your faith in Jesus, not by anything you've done. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should brag about what I don't do. Well, I've never done that. Well, I never would do that. What's going on there? Boasting. You say, well, Rick, what can you boast about? Nothing. I'm guilty just like you. All I can boast about is what Jesus did for me. But the works doctrine goes on and on and on and it always will because the pride of man and woman is so strong if I could just do something to get to heaven if I could just earn it then it would make sense because most of life is based on that premise in the natural you know I work I make money I work hard I make more money I work two jobs I make twice the money so now I want eternal life but it can't be a gift I mean there's no free lunch Rick well it isn't free 
Christ paid the debt. It cost him his life. But to you and I, it's free. See, remember, the cost was God's perfect son so he could put grace on you. I've said this many years, but five years ago, a businessman called me to his office and gave me a sports car. I didn't earn it. person wasn't even a member of the church, didn't know it was coming, didn't do anything to earn it, could not afford it, would not buy it on my own, way out of my league, but it was the title. All I had to do was sign my name, already been paid, and I drove off in a new sports car. Well, I bet you think you're something. No, I think that person is something. Yeah, uh uh-huh. If he asked me to come downtown again, I'd go. (laughs) I didn't do one blooming thing. I didn't earn that. And it does not make me special because I can drive a hot, fast sports car. And I tell everybody that starts with that stupid talk, like I'm somebody, that was a gift. Somebody gave it to me. And then it kind of shuts the air down and you can't walk around like I'm somebody. Or you can walk around like I'm somebody carrying your $90 fake Louis Vuitton bag, you know. (laughs) It goes on all the time. In churches, in the world, that's that's the way it works. But along comes the legalist and says, oh, no, 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 Rick, we got to add to Christ's work. In Paul's day, they demanded circumcision. And you needed to give up certain foods. You couldn't eat certain foods like pork you got to eat like we eat, they said. And you've got to observe certain days. Or you can't be spiritual and accepted by God. But Paul calls that heresy. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 4. Now the Holy Spirit says that in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Now, what are these doctrine of demons? Listen. Forbidding to marry, called celibacy. That didn't come out of the New Testament. That didn't come from Jesus. That came from a demon. You can be a minister or a priest and be married. Paul cautions the Corinthians in one chapter. He just says, hey, it might be smart if you're going into war or you're going into dangerous places for a life call. might be better not to be married. But that wasn't celibacy. That was not causing harm to your wife because you're going into a danger zone and it might not be best. It was just a suggestion, not a command. Now, why are you all looking at me quiet? How many of you know a religion that requires celibacy to the priests or to, the, to the, the lovely ladies? Very dedicated people, very godly people. We're not hurting the people. We're, we're attacking a demonic doctrine that says you can't have a spouse. And I'm reading from your Bible, and you got St. Paul on your dash. So look, he just said, it is a doctrine of demons commanding them to abstain from certain foods or marriage forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. If you want to eat a chocolate-covered roach, you can. For every, cre- for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving or the blessing. Now, under, under the law, you couldn't eat certain foods. You couldn't eat certain animals. In the New Testament, because the law has now been taken out of the way I can eat anything I want and God says so 
Do you know any religions with food laws? I can name Can't eat it. As though that's going to please God that I didn't eat chocolate or drink a Coke or have coffee or eat pork. Now, nutrition, I agree with you. Nutritionally, that's a good thing. But it won't make you righteous. Just makes you healthy. I can go eat all the bacon now I want. I can choke myself on bacon and I can... (laughs) I can clog up my arteries and die five years before I should. Now, when I died, I did not die unrighteous. I just died because I ate too much pork. But I wasn't unrighteous because bacon didn't make me righteous or unmake me righteous. Jesus did. So it's an issue of health, not an issue of being righteous. See? Yeah, thank you, bro. <laughs> um, Can I tell you this one? One of my friends who was a former Adventist, uh, Dino Polis, his whole family, daddy's in heaven now, but they came from Adventist life and they had all those food laws. And he said, I never saw that in my life. And Dino said, well, I I was friends with a girl and she wouldn't eat pork, but she was a stripper. (laughs) Praise God, I'm not eating no pork, but I'll get naked for you. Is that See, we're talking hypocrisy. That's what the law does to people, goofy stuff. <laughs> I'll never forget. He was here last night, and we reminisced about that. So Paul says that stuff is a pack of lies, and he stands against those who tell you to add to the work of Christ, and if you don't stand against them, then those legalists win. Just as we learned that if we don't stand against the enemies of the liberty of our nation, they take over. Liberty is worth fighting for. In Galatians 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, But if we or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you than what, I, than what you have received from me, let him be accursed. So stop tolerating the gospel of works. It's legalism. It puts you under a curse. It puts you in bondage. It'll make you smug, proud, uh, judgmental, or even guilty and shameful. And heaven's not going to have people who are proud. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace removes all pride and gives God all the glory. And then in that second group in Galatians 2, it says, even that question came up because some so-called Christians false ones really, were secretly brought in. And they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. So chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 1. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus. He came along too. And I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those who were the leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I'd been preaching to the Gentiles. He said, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and that I'm running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, although he was a Gentile. Now, do you think the legalists took that sitting down? Oh, no, no, no. In Galatians 2, 5, Paul says they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. 
because liberty is worth fighting for. I, I mean, the legalists are making their move every week, and you need to step on it and stop it before it moves into a church because it can ruin a church and ruin your life. Eugene Peterson writes again, there are people who do not want us to be free. They don't want us to be free before God, accepted as we are by His grace. They don't want us to be free to express our faith originally and creatively in the world. They want to control us. They want to use us for their own purpose. They themselves refuse to live openly in faith, but huddle together with a few others and try to get a sense of approval by insisting that all look alike, talk alike, and act alike. Thus, they validate one another's worth. They try to enlarge their numbers only on the condition that new members act, talk, and behave the way they do. And Paul says these people infiltrate communities of faith to spy out our freedom in Christ and find ways to control, restrict, and reduce the lives of free Christians. I've watched legalists destroy people and churches over birth control, movies, music, musical instruments, coffee, Wine, certain foods, pants on women, makeup, jewelry, books, your view on the end time, guns, women cutting their long hair, tattoo, body piercing. Some of you wouldn't drink wine, but you drink 90 proof NyQuil. <laughs> I think wine's less, less. There are only two words for wine in the Greek language, oinus and glucose. We get our word glucose, sugar water, in an IV from glucose. That's never used in the Bible for wine. It's oinous. Why was Jesus called a wine bibber if he drank grape juice? Well, well, you never thought. You just <laughs> nodded when the guy said that. It's what not. Well, I mean, you, you talk about they slander Jesus. He's a wine bibber. And I'm thinking, yeah, he drank wine. And when some of you get to the marriage supper of the Lamb... I can't wait. I can't wait for you to take a sip of that grape juice and say, oh, Ricky G was right. This is not Welch's grape juice. Somebody lied to me. Now, if you've been an, uh, if you've been an alcoholic, you should have zero, zero tolerance completely. No more. You can only be innocent once, but not to be made righteous just for your own well-being. And not eating certain foods is good for your health. We don't tithe because it'll get me to heaven. It helps get a little heaven into my finances, and it helps God's covenant rebuke the devourer for me. You see why we do that? I, you can be divorced 19 times and go to heaven. It's not about marriage. It's about faith in Jesus. But if you'll do what he says in the kingdom, how to treat your wife and how to dwell in an understanding way, it'll bring a little heaven to earth. So God gives us these conditions and his instructions for living on earth, but it's not how to get to heaven. Jesus alone gets me to heaven, but you can wreck your life on earth for sure, and a lot of people do. What, what a sad thing. So, he, um, I, I don't know, I guess maybe we're saying, has our faith been reduced to what I think you should do? Or is it a faith resting on the truth of Scripture, that Jesus paid it all? I owe nothing. Liberty is worth fighting for. And even those with long lists <laughs> rarely live up to them. How many remember Casey Tree? What, one of my best friends. Casey, Casey came here when I had that shoulder surgery, refused even to take an offering. I was knocked down with a reaction to medicine. What a guy. We, we, he wouldn't do a thing out of 30 years of friendship. And so Casey wouldn't go to movies. But he rented everyone that came out. <laughs> and I, I said, you old hypocrite. 
I said, what is the difference? You're taking them home to your movie theater. You're paying the money. And, and I saw I had him confused. So I took him to his first movie, downtown San Antonio IMAX, to see Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger. And he'd been watching them ever since. <laughs> How silly we get. See, that brings us to the third and last point, Galatians 2, verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul's talking, I rebuked him to his face because he was blamed for what he did. For before, certain men came from James, the church in Jerusalem. He would eat with Gentiles, but when the, those Jewish leaders came, he withdrew from them, separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, the Jews. And the rest of the Jews, they played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We, he says, who are Jews by nature, we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Jesus, not by the works of the law, or by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. One paraphrase by Ralph Kuyper says this, Pete, I smell ham on your breath. You forgot your breath, mints. There was a time you wouldn't eat ham as part of your hope of salvation. And then after you trusted Christ, it didn't matter if you ate ham. But now when the no ham eaters have come from Jerusalem, you've gone back to your kosher ways. But the smell of ham still lingers on your breath. You are most inconsistent. You are compelling Gentile believers to observe Jewish law, which can never justify anybody. Peter, by returning to the law, you undercut the strength for godly living. So Paul is rebuking the hypocrisy in Peter. Still want him on your dash? I'll wait for you. The very idea you would fake it in front of the Jews, Pete, and the Gentiles proves you are talking freedom, but you're not living it. You're talking law, but you're not living that either. Get off the fence, Peter. If you keep one part of the law, you got to keep it all. They tell you don't smoke, but they're gluttons. If you go back to the law, you come under the curse of the law. So, to close, how do we then take a strong defense against legalism? Number one, keep standing firm in your freedom. I won't let anybody put me under that law. Number two, stop seeking the favor of everybody. If you're in a group where you have to do certain things that violate your conscience or they require things that are not your conviction, get out of the group. See, you are foolish to stay where your conscience tells you it's not right. You're serving men now, not God. You're motivated by fear, not by faith. Third, start refusing to submit to bondage. Call it what it is, slavery. Oh, yeah, and please don't bother to remind me of how liberty needs to be restrained. I've got those rules down pat. We've all got those down pat. Every time I speak on grace, I hear immediately from the legalists who want me to warn you about taking your liberty to an extreme. But that is not the problem for most believers. We're so good at clipping wings, we don't even know how to fly. Some of you have never been free, never. So let me urge you, fly a little. Those people with scissors are always around to clip your wings.
And continue being straightforward about the truth. Live honestly. You know, when you blow it, say, I blew it. Even to your kids, just say, sorry, kids, I was a first-class hypocrite last week. Now, it's embarrassing now, but they'll love you forever, and they won't grow up damaged. Liberty has to be fought for because legalists won't go away. And Satan can only control you by obscuring what Jesus did for you at the cross. If you ever find out what he did for you, I, I, hear, I hear it in my head right now. Well, you just think you can live any old way you want to. Probably you could because that doesn't save me. But Paul says, I want to restrain you a little bit. Shall we sin that grace may abound? No. God forbid. Let's don't do that. Meaning you can abuse the grace of God. You can abuse anything. But he says, let's don't do that. But let's also don't allow the enemy to push us back under guilt, shame, and condemnation because it is impossible to live a sinless life. Oh, uh, I mean, are you unsure? Uh, uh, No, nobody can do that. Only Jesus did it. I find no fault in him. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Jesus said, in me is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. So you might as well put away your fig leaves. Put away what you don't do. Whatever I don't do, it's not to get to heaven. It's not to make God love me. He loved me while I was yet a sinner. It is simply to bring his favor and blessing over my life on earth. That's all. That's all. It's got, I, want to, I eat healthy, but it's not because of a food law. It's because I want to live long. I want to be at your funeral. <laughs> and I'd like to stay married going on 44 years. I'd like to stay married. Uh, divorce is too expensive, and it ain't worth it, and it causes a lot of pain. So if I just do what Jesus said, it's not to get to heaven. It's not to make God love me. It's just, it's just to guarantee a good improvement in marriage because there's no perfect marriage. How I handle my money according to God's purpose on the first day of the week, laid by you in store about giving, presenting the first fruit of all your increase. So shall your barns burst out with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. Talking about tithing. Okay, I don't do any of that to get merit badges from God. I do it to ensure the security of my family and my life on this earth. That's all. You can be broker in the Ten Commandments and go to heaven. You can be miserable. You could be on your ninth husband and still go to heaven. But it won't. It, why have a wrecked life on earth when God gives us principles to live by that assure us a good outcome? So I want you to live free and happy and not under guilt and condemnation about the stuff we do or don't do. Paul just kills them. If you want to read through Galatians, he will destroy. Some of you say, well, there's a certain day. And Romans 14 says, one man observes this day, another man observes that day. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own heart. You can keep any day you want, but you can't be made righteous by a day. So you can have church on Saturday, you can have it on Friday, you can have it on Sunday, you can have it on Wednesday. But they met on the first day of the week, so it's a good method. But whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. Is that okay? You got it? Okay. I hope you'll learn how to walk in liberty. I remember people trying to get us to take a policy view on Cabbage Patch dolls being of the devil. Never forget. I had two of them for two girls. And they thought Satan has a curse on those dolls. When you, I've heard the dumbest things in my life. 
one day I'll just sit here and name them all and go through scripture to just debunk it. Birth control. I'll t I could tell you where one religious group in our city got that bad doctrine from, from the book of Genesis. Totally out of context. Anyway, use birth control if you don't want any kids. You know, the Bible does say what you sow, you reap. I, I can't imagine somebody being surprised. Like, huh? You heard of birth control? Okay. Father, let's buy hands. <laughs> it's getting out of control. Lord, give us courage to believe you more than anybody else. Give us the courage to fly. Give us the strength to stand against criticism that comes from people who live in a dull, colorless, legalistic world, full of rigidity and rules and demands for themselves and for us. Lord, help us to live as free as you've made us by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we ask that in his strong and mighty name. With our heads bowed for one more minute, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into that grace and mercy and liberty of Christ Jesus, a life freed from guilt, shame, and condemnation, I'd like to include you in my prayer this morning. Jesus will accept you just like you are. It is his work done, finished. It is not my effort in doing anything. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So if you can handle that much faith this morning, you can be born again, part of God's family. He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'll never condemn you. I will impute my righteousness to you just as if you earned it yourself. It's a gift, and I paid for it. So you can receive it or reject it. Please receive it today. If I can pray with you this morning and that's you, just slip a hand up and take it down. Nobody will bother you. I'm not going to bother you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. This is good news. Not a bad thought here at all. Jesus will take you because he paid the debt. No more doing. It's done. It is a finished work. When Jesus wrote, it is finished on the blackboard, he said, class dismissed. It's over. I'm going to pray a real simple prayer, and I want everybody that raised a hand and our whole church, I want you to pray together. We'll all pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my heart today as my Lord and Savior. Forgive my sin and give me your gift of eternal life. I receive it by faith. Thank you, you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Thank you, there is no condemnation to anyone in Christ Jesus. So I break any curse of false guilt, false condemnation, or shame from my past. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. I have been declared righteous by the Son of God. And I will walk in that liberty, freed from bondage, through his great work at the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, how about a big shout? Woo! That's good news. And Jesus said, go share the good news. Don't go share a list of rules. Go share good news. 
and tell everybody. Nobody. Buddha can't help us. He, can't, they, he ain't got a prayer. Don't worry about Mohammed. He's still in the grave. Don't be worried about these other cults and religions. Just tell them the good news. Well, you just think I can come to you? Well, I don't have to do anything. Well, surely I got to get different clothes. Well, surely I got to get rid of this. Well, surely I need to do that. And the thief on the cross with just minutes to live said, Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And Jesus said, I'll give it some consideration. I'll take a look at your life. I'll weigh the good and the bad. I'll see how you treated your wife. See if you ever got drunk. We'll check on that. No, he said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today. Today you step into that. Amen. What great news. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.